0: we uh-huh. here.
1: PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Nighthow Live, we'll be featuring cutting-edge commentator Daniel Aaron Dilger of Apple Insider, Ben Williams, director of PR for Adblock Plus, and Kirk McElhern, Macworld's iTunes guy. All this and more on the Tech Night Nighthow Live. Yeah! We have Daniel Aaron Dilger from Apple Insider and on a rare occasion from Roughly Drafted Magazine, which tends to be a tongue twister when your tongue is pointed in the wrong direction or something. Daniel, welcome back after a couple of months. I wanted to bring something to your attention, which is not unusual, but this sort of thing is mentioned every so often. So there's an article on a certain unnamed website from a blogger claiming to have 20 years experience with Mac, Windows, and with Linux. Saying in the headline, Where's Apple's Chromebook? The Need for a Cheap Apple Product. He wants to call it the slice. Now, can you stop laughing?
2: Well, I mean, that's kind of typical link bait stuff. It seems like there's a lot of people, and it used to be Microsoft. It used to be anything Microsoft did, people would say, Hey, where is Apple's version of the Microsoft whatever? And there was never any consideration of the fact that the various things that Microsoft were, was doing were not really working. Remember with tablet PCs? I mean, they. Microsoft is selling tablet PCs, or trying to, for 10 years before the iPad. And people kept asking, where is Apple's version of the tablet? And then it turned into, where is Apple's version of the Acer netbook? Acer was actually selling, or they were shipping a lot of netbooks for the year or two before the iPad came out. They're not anymore. But yeah, there, there's a lot of people who are so devoted to some company that they think that Apple has to do what that company does, which is kind of weird because... Apple's best things that it's ever done have always been things that the industry hasn't done. You know, if you look at other companies, the things that other companies are good at are very rarely a clone of somebody else. But I see a lot of examples of that. People ask, where is this company's X? And then there's also the story about how Chromebooks are selling so well because they sold a million to schools. And it's like, well, that's kind of Zoom quantities. Google's clearly not making any money on it. So how long can they possibly be continuing to do this strategy of giving away hardware?
1: Well, the question is here, that that's the big thing here. Why does anyone think that people are just buying all these Chromebooks? I assume they are essentially netbook replacements being very cheap notebook PCs. It's a variation on the netbook theme being a very cheap PC notebook, except with a very lightweight operating system that's essentially a browser.
2: Exactly. I mean, the, the people who write kind of content that goes in these kind of magazines, they're really enamored with things that are cheap. And they think that if something is cheap, it means that it's going to be mass market and a big deal. But that's not really the case. We haven't seen that. In fact, the most popular smartphone, and the most popular tablet in the world is some of the most expensive, you know, Apple's. that doesn't mean that you can't just be successful by having things that are expensive because Google came into a year after the iPad and tried to make tablets that cost more than the iPad. They failed. Microsoft tried to do the same thing. They failed. Now they came back with things that are cheaper because they didn't have any other option. Being cheap is not a good thing, necessarily. If you look at cars, people don't shop for cars looking for something that's just absolutely cheap. There is a lot of price competition, but if you want a nice car, you pay some money for it. Same thing with clothes. People don't go getting clothes just because they're cheap. They get things that are fashionable, they are comfortable, or things that they like, You know, clothes that are reliable and you know last for a while or whatever. Whatever you want to buy, cheap is not the main thing that most people want, unless they don't have any money.
1: A famous example of this is Tata Motors of India which owns by the way Jaguar and Land Rover which are doing well. And they came out with a car that costs just a few thousand dollars in American funds. The ultimate cheapest car with a price tag that would have been I guess expensive in 1969, but obviously it was very cheap now and very few people bought it. So cheap doesn't always mean there are going to be a lot of sales.
2: Yeah, and there's there's also um in developing countries, obviously things have to be have to cost less. I was reading an article about Chinese cars that they're making these very lightweight. They're basically 1930s style technology, stamping together metal, and they're electric. They're quite popular with people in the country, but you know, of course, they're terribly dangerous, and you can't ride them, drive them on the highway. And if you're in an accident, you would most likely die in a horrible death. But that's something that's just they're just trying to make something that's cheap because people that they're targeting don't have any money. That's not Successful in a kinds of products that we've been seeing that are successful in the consumer electronics field, being cheap is not a very good. It's not a very good predictor of success or of satisfaction. So, for example, with netbooks in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, they were selling a lot of them, but after people's first experience with a netbook, they didn't ever want one again, and they didn't want something called a netbook. And so now, you know, Microsoft is calling its thing the Surface, and Google's calling its cheap notebooks chromebooks or whatever they're avoiding the whole name because it was so tainted and there are some applications that those those kinds of products would be okay for but it doesn't seem like a mass market thing and in reality you know when when apple came out with the ipad at 500 it was half as much as windows pc tablets were so and they've made this kind of comments in their conference calls they don't say we're trying to be cheap and they don't say we're not we're trying not to be cheap we're not trying to be expensive Apple's not just like pricing it up just to like attract people who think they need to pay pay money. They seek to have things priced at a you know a fair price for something that's functional and useful considering the technology of the moment. What can they do to make a product that people will love at a price that's you know affordable? And all of Apple's competitors right now seem to be saying how can we just undercut Apple but as dramatically as possible using the cheapest possible stuff? and that is a strategy is not working. So it's not it's not exactly the price tag, it's sort of your approach to how do you price things? Are you just trying to be cheap? That historically has not been very successful in very many areas. And in particular if you're not making any money. People like this idea, that, you know, these these people that write, you know, those kind of articles, they have this idea that if things are cheap, they're going to appeal to a lot of people. I read an article sort of recently about HP came out with a tablet that cost like $99. It's like, well, obviously, that's not going to be a good tablet. But he was so enamored with the fact that it was, A, a tablet from HP, and B, it had you know four cores in it, regardless of whether those cores were, were fast enough to make it a device that wouldn't just be frustrating and annoying, but just fixated with price. You don't see that anywhere else. You don't see people bragging about, you know, on TV. You don't see some show where people are like, oh, yeah, my jeans only cost $12 because I got them on sale at Walmart. That's not something that most people aspire to. Most people buy clothes that they like that make them feel comfortable or, you know, make them feel the way they want to feel. Not I saved, you know, this is the cheapest possible clothing I could drape on my body.
1: Daniel, when they buy the cheap clothing, what they will say is, This is as good as the one that cost a hundred dollars. Sometimes that's one way of yeah. doing it, saying, I got something for less, but still a good value because it is the equivalent of this more expensive product. And that's of course the illusion about apple which is saying well apple charges more for everything therefore you should be able to get it cheaper and still get the same value but of course that's not true
2: well there are different markets so if you look at you know western market in america there are companies that sell devices that are comparable i mean like google was trying to sell phones that were you know comparable with apple's mid-grade models for maybe a hundred dollars less like the moto x or whatever i mean it's, it's you know similar to an iphone 5c but it's it's cheaper. There are some people who wanted the Moto X, but I don't think those people were attracted to the fact that it was a little bit cheaper. I think they were attracted to the fact that it was from Google. And the number of people who are just buying Google are very small. That's why the Nexus has never sold in big quantities. Moto Xs did not sell in quantity, and I don't think Google even expected it to because they were hand building them in Texas. You know, the, the, they didn't have the capacity to build huge amounts of them, so they knew it wasn't going to sell in huge amounts. It was kind of a just a marketing ploy. But the 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 important thing is just being a little bit cheaper has not resulted in a lot of success. Where where Android is getting its volume from is people who walk into a store, know nothing, and the sales guy in the Verizon store or whatever says, hey, here's a Samsung phone. You need a Samsung phone here. Take two. Here's two for your kids. They're all free. Here's a free tablet. Those are the people that walk out of the store with Samsung. They, did, they didn't go to the store and say, hey, I want to, this is a great phone. I want this.
1: I think it's terribly clear that a lot of these people didn't have an obvious preference for the kind of smartphone they wanted. You know, they go in there and maybe list the specs. I'd like something with a really good camera, and it works on the fastest networks and all that stuff. Unless they ask for an iPhone specifically, a lot of these salespeople will push for the one where they get a spiff. Daniel Aaron Dilger joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Legendary to cash in on this special deal at
4: Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. Quantitative easing, unemployment at depression levels, Europe financial system falling apart, China getting out of U.S. treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at 11 trillion gold, trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded $16.4 gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The 20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a printing press to finance.
5: You have all seen and heard about the elements of the periodic table. These elements are the building blocks of everything in the universe. You, my friends, are made from these elements. A shortage of any of these important trace elements can lead to disease. Go with the science and take the Lady Talk Health Challenge and get all 90 essential trace elements with a healthy start pack at LadyTalkLive.com or call 855-333-LADY. That's 855-333-5239.
1: Of Apple Insider and sometimes roughly drafted magazine, we're covering the pursuit of cheap. There's a Chinese company, and I'm going to try this in terms of pronunciation. I think you know the company I'm talking about. They're trying to call it the Chinese Apple, which is ridiculous. Called Xiaomi. Okay, that's as close as I can come to the Chinese, which I can't speak Chinese. You know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Okay, so they're beating the pants off Samsung at the low end of the market. And they hired this former Google executive from Brazil. They're now moving into India, maybe South America. Is there any potential with them?
2: Well, they're shipping lots of phones. I haven't looked at their financials and how much money they're making. But I, the, the most obvious thing about it, you know, they call it the, the same, same kind of people who write these articles about how Apple needs to make a Chromebook are also writing articles saying how this company is the, the Apple of China when they're not anything like Apple. They're copying Apple. So they're really the Samsung of China.
1: What they're doing here, folks, is they build these phones using a modified version of Android, which is made to look more like iOS 7. And the guy who is the CEO of the company will go out at media presentations looking a bit like Steve Jobs. I mean, it's absurd.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he'll put up a slide that says one more thing. And it's very much, you know, he's very much copying the idea. And it's not a new company. I mean, they've been making knockoff things. I think at one point they were making knockoff Windows they were using Windows Phone to like look kind of like the iPhone. They had the most convincing version of the iPhone in China. But yeah, are they going to sell are they going to ship tons of volumes? Probably. There's huge numbers of people who are you know, down to buy something like that. But there's no indication that I've seen that they're even competing against Apple. If you've ever been in, in a developing country you can also see tons of like video game systems that are pretending to be a nintendo or pretending to be a playstation or something like that what's interesting is the western media never says sam you know that for example sony just sold what was it 10 million playstation 4s and it was like a big landmark they didn't come out and say oh yeah but that they only have you know the small percentage of the global gaming you know device you can plug into a tv market because there's tons of this crap being built in china and it's being sold in mexico and thailand and various other places to people who have no money for, you know, $99 for this thing that looks sort of like a Nintendo from 10 years ago. I I don't understand why the fact—actually, I I very well understand the fascination with trying to minimize Apple and suggest that they're not doing anything because of, you know, volumes of things being created in China.
1: You know, it's very interesting here, since you bring that up. So, we know about the controversial reports from IDC, their surveys, like, what was it, the last two quarters— According to them, the market share and the sales of Macs in the US dropped, whereas they increased. In fact, in the last quarter, they increased by double digits, according to Apple. But IDC says it went down a couple of percent. So IDC has this survey showing where iOS is losing steam against Android. But the thing that they don't say, and Daniel, I'm sure you know about this, the thing they don't tell you here is that there is no such thing as one android yeah i mean Zalmi's android is not part of the google play store it's their own operating system there are lots of android knockoffs that for all intents and purposes make them separate platforms so how the heck can you put them all in one basket but idc
2: does well i mean that's that's logical fallacy 101 is first of all to take things that don't belong together and put them together in the same thing so for example you're you're just kind of nebulously talking about android allows you to suggest that all that benefits google as as you point out there's a huge amount of android open source versions and variants like stuff in china and um, amazon's fire products that do not benefit google really at all they're competitors to android but if you just kind of nebulously refer to everything as android then it's it sounds good for google it sounds good for android in general but yeah there's there's obviously intense competition between android companies you know companies that are using android in some way even even companies that are all sort of aligned with google and trying to make products that are all all work not trying but being forced by google cuz google has pretty strict requirements that if you put their proprietary apps on something so things like google maps and gmail you have to follow exactly their rules and make it Work and connect to the Google Play store. So companies like Samsung and LG and Motorola and other companies that are making Google's version of Android are still fier- fiercely competing with each other. I mean, LG and Samsung are not in a partnership. They're desperately trying to win each other's business. So referring to anything as Android is kind of a tip-off that you know someone's trying to suggest something that isn't really the case. It's lumping together a lot of things that aren't the same.
1: Well, it's easy that way because that way the meme that Apple is losing steam gets precedence. But if you took Android and separated it by version one being the Google Play version, the official version, and version two being the reskinned open source version, the percentages would be totally different. As a matter of fact, the Google Play version may not be gaining so much because it's the knockoff version that's really doing well.
2: And even if all the Android devices were running Google's version of Android and benefiting Google in some way, none of the companies that are making those devices are making money. And there's kind of a parallel there between that and PC companies that in the PC world under Windows, Microsoft was making money on Windows just on a volume play because they were licensing, getting licensing revenue from it. But individual companies were dying like flies for the you know 20 years of Windows. And... Even big companies, you know, Compaq and HP merged together and resulted in a company that was the same size as HP was before the merger. And now HP and Dell, the two biggest PC makers in the world, are making not that much money from, from all the PCs that they build. And they're both eyeing, you know, perhaps getting out of this market because it's plateauing and shrinking. And if you look at Android, and people are saying, oh yeah, Android is achieving this pinnacle of wonderful success of Microsoft in the 90s. Well, the difference is Google makes nothing from Android, they're giving it away. And secondly, we know what the result of a platform like Windows is because we're seeing it today. And that's what's what Android is going to increasingly suffer from, except that Google has less control of the platform, so there's gonna be more fragmentation, more security problems, uh, more integration problems in mobile devices where integration is a much more important thing. And all the partners that, under Windows, companies benefited from Microsoft's kind of strict regulation of what Windows was and how the Windows brand was implemented, basically. If you got a Windows PC, it kind of worked like a Windows PC. There was like a little variation between companies. But if you get an Android device, it doesn't really mean anything. It can look like anything. It can work like anything. It can be fast. It can be slow. Android doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything about an experience. It kind of suggests that it can run a certain type of apps, but there's a lot of Android devices that don't run certain apps. And even uh, even on devices that you know are Android and will run Android apps from the app store, there's hardware fragmentation problems, so you don't know if the gyroscope's going to work. You don't know if the compass is, is going to work.
1: And with you the know? Samsung Galaxy S5, you don't know if the fingerprint sensor is going to work. And by the way, most times it doesn't. Daniel Aaron Dilger is with us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live.
8: Great minds think alike. The network for the independent minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN.
9: Moms of America, stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids. I pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again. I
10: pledge to stop letting my daughter walk all over me. I pledge to stop living in fear of my son's anger.
6: I pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again. Because I'm not.
10: I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom.
9: I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep
11: it for free. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Call now. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795
10: Youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself with the aid of HB Extract. It's extremely effective, and it starts working in just days. Visit hbextract.com to learn more and to read scores of testimonials from satisfied customers. And we've never increased our price in over ten years. That makes Heart and Body Extract as great a value now as it was the first day we sold it. A healthy heart is a happy heart. Call eight six six two nine five fifty three zero five or go to hbextract.com.
4: Next to water and food, you need a safe, storable fuel supply for your preparedness needs. Spare fuel is the answer. Spare fuel can be used in any gas-powered vehicle or generator. Spare fuel is perfect for any unforeseen out-of-gas emergencies. Unlike gasoline, spare fuel is safe to store with your other supplies, and it can be stored for many years. Go to GetSpareFuel.com for special pricing. That's GetSpareFuel.com.
13: Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen
1: next. On the Tech Night Owl Live, we have Daniel Aaron Dilger, hangs his hat at Apple Insider and other places, and we're talking about the positions of the various platforms and the tendency on the part of certain people to lump all Android products together, not realizing they're not the same thing and they're not the same platform. Only superficial resemblance exists. And especially in Asia, where there's so many knockoff Android products, Google isn't benefiting. So what does Google do here? Because it looks to me like Microsoft is making more money from Android than Google because they're getting all those royalty fees. In fact, they were suing Samsung for overdue payments.
2: Yeah, Samsung agreed to pay licensing royalties, as most other major Android licensees have agreed to. The difference between Apple and Microsoft is Apple said, hey, we don't want you to use specific features that we've patented, that you know we've patented, that are distinctive on the iPhone. We want it to these features to be ours um so they had a series of lawsuits with different companies saying you don't use these specific features and they made a deal with htc and they're they're still suing samsung and microsoft has been you can use all the stuff that we have patented but you have to pay us for it so it's two different approaches um samsung agreed to pay microsoft and then after american courts said oh no samsung even though they're clearly infringing and in, in patent after patent, even after we, after we throw away all these claims that Apple makes whittle down the case to where it's just a few more patents and they're all found infringing and they're quite willfully infringing. The judge basically just pushed it all away and said, Nope, Nope. We're not going to make him pay anything. We're going to like have this award. We're going to whittle it down as much as we can. We're going to like let this to go on for years and, years and years and years and years and it's just absolutely ridiculous. And so Samsung knows that American judges will not enforce patents in this that relate to Apple. They'll enforce patents relating to everyone else, but not to Apple on the smartphone. And because of that, Samsung is like, oh, well, we're going to stop paying Microsoft too. So Microsoft is now selling Samsung. It's a very strange set of decisions made in Silicon Valley that are unlike any sort of patent cases I have ever seen anywhere in the United States. There are some patent cases that are a little bit over the top. There there are some uh, places in Texas where they just allow patents of any kind to float through and and companies have to fight against them. And There's obviously a lot of problems in the patent system, but the purpose of patents is to reward innovation. And there's really no question that when the phone came out, when the iPhone came out, it was very different, its entire approach was different, and the companies that copied it uh, illegally, because they didn't have a right to, benefited, and those who did their own things, it didn't work out as well. And so by refusing to protect those patents, they've, we've created a situation where people now know that they can do whatever they want. And that's gonna be really bad for the United States. It's gonna be really bad for Google too, because everything Google does is IP. Google is based on a patent and they make all their money from patents. And all the stuff that they're working on from jetpacks to self-driving cars, those are patent-protected inventions. So in a world with no patents, Google loses everything. Google's not making hardware that people want to buy. They're licensing ideas to people, selling to advertisers. But you know, if you, if you use Google Maps, you're, you're getting that IP free, all the work that Google's done, because advertisers are telling you to drive past this, or you know, whatever, putting their name on the map. So it's like a passive payment, but Google is getting its money from patented IP. It's lying to you know its fan base and saying, oh, we don't like patents and we like everything to be open. That, Google's completely lying. They're totally misrepresenting everything to try to make Apple look bad. But the truth is that Google and every other company in Silicon Valley, and most of what is being created in America, is intellectual property. It's a property it's, it's the production of research and development. So all these companies, all the work that they're doing, all the jobs that they're creating to create valuable software and devices, those are created by patents. Those are protected by patents, those rights. And if we have a system where we just allow you know, foreign conglomerates, Samsung is a criminal foreign conglomerate. Everything they do is criminal on the top. Their CEO is a criminal. They have gone through and destroyed a series of legitimate companies by stealing everything they have. I've had people from so many different companies come to me and tell me stories of how they worked with Samsung. How Samsung created a partnership with them and lied up and down about what was going to happen. And then they stole everything they had and put them out of business. And there's all these, you know, CNET and all these companies online that, that write glowing things about Samsung because they think that their stuff is cheap. Those people are, are doing PR for a company that's awful. Samsung is a really terrible company. And if we create a system of laws to where those kind of companies can come in and just destroy our economy, well, you know, that's kind of stupid. And the people that are rallying around and saying, oh, this is open and great, and and it's not open. And as soon as Samsung destroys uh, all the value it can, it is very well lined up to totally cross over Google. And Google knows it. Google's been scared and fighting Samsung for years now. And that you know, Samsung is eventually going to try to make its own Linux-based experience. But yeah, it's it's all these kind of delusional fans of Android do not really realize what's going on. You know, it's not there's, a company to be a fan of.
1: <laughs> speaking of Samsung, let's go back to Samsung. So the news came out recently. And we haven't had you on in a couple of months, so we haven't been able to explore this. The news came out that. Apple and Samsung had agreed to drop all legal actions outside of the U.S. Is that an admission by Apple that this isn't going anywhere? Might as well try to strike a deal with Samsung if they're willing?
2: Apple's always wanted to strike a deal with Samsung. And the deal is don't do this and don't do this. And we're still your biggest customer. You're the only company that can build these kind of chips. And we, get, we buy all this RAM from you. And like we're intense, huge customers. Apple is one of the biggest clients of Samsung and have, have been since the, you know, at least the iPod days probably before then. Um, So yeah, Apple's not trying to, it's, it's very, very bizarre how all these events have been portrayed. I don't understand why journalists just keep lying about all this stuff. Um, Tim Hooker said over and over again, he doesn't like litigation. He doesn't like suing. He was against suing Samsung. Obviously they're, the, by far the biggest supplier of Apple, they don't want any sort of problems holding up all their future stuff because they're fighting with Samsung. They don't want to fight up Samsung. And they're not trying to get, you know, a few hundred million dollar settlements out of it because that's nothing to Apple. Apple has tons of money. What they're trying to do is stop Samsung from creating knockoff products that look like Apple stuff. And creating a pattern for everyone else to do the same. Because they already fight that. They've been, you know, they come off the iMac, and then all these Chinese companies start cloning the iMac. So they said, no, you can't do this. And they stop them from making things that look exactly like the iMac. They can make all kinds of devices that look like anything they want. But Apple's saying, no, don't make your products look exactly like ours. And that's not a new idea. That's been going on forever. Companies have always had trademarks and patent protection and all this stuff this isn't something new to apple it's just that the media has just become this entirely in, in opposed to any sort of people who create value as opposed to people just rip off other people's value And i think it's really distasteful and when american media is writing all this garbage propaganda about how counterfeiting products is such a great thing because it makes them cheaper that's not even true if you look at Samsung, go to Samsung's store and you say, I want I want your high-end products that look just like the iPhone, they cost as much as the iPhone. In fact, the last time I looked at Verizon, they cost more. The, the Note and the Galaxy S5, they're more than Apple. Samsung does not want to save people money. It just wants to rip Apple off. And as soon as Samsung has the power to do so, it's going to start ripping off Google, and it's going to start, you know, if, if they had the power to charge more, they would.
1: Hey, let's do the break here. Daniel Aaron Dilger is here. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
8: You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
15: What good is a Big Berkey water filter?
16: We get that question a lot here at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And in a word, the answer is protection protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's Powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at bigberkeywaterfilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call 1-877-99BERKEY. That's 877-99B-E-R-K-E-Y. Big Berkey Water Filters for the love of clean water.
17: How's your pH today? Are you acidic? How alkaline is your blood and body? What is the pH of the water you drink? We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy, because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlcaVision plasma pH drops for only 29.95 dollars 95 at alcavision.com. Spelled A L K A Vision.com. Or call 800 518 7615. 800 518 7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at alcavision.com.
13: what's going to happen next well here's the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg
1: We know that when Daniel Dilger of Apple Insider and Roughly Drafted Magazine speaks, he doesn't hold back. You know, I was kind of thinking with Samsung, too. Knowing how Apple would react, couldn't they sit in the room with the engineers, designers, and lawyers say, this is as far as you can go to duplicate what Apple has. And if you step over this line, this little red line, you might get sued. And if they were a little more cautious about how they were copying Apple... They might have gotten away with it, don't you think?
2: Well, it's kind of Samsung's general operating. If you if you look at the company, what they've done, and, and the series of companies that they've screwed over, it's it's not a matter of don't copy us too much. I don't think they even have a sense that they're copying, because when you hear things about how they talk, they they don't they don't seem to understand that that there's anything wrong with just ripping off other people's work just purely i don't mean being influenced by because every company every artist is influenced by other people in the industry but when you create work that's pure plagiarism where you just take someone else's work and you put your name on it that's not right and that's that's bad for innovation because people are not going to invest in making spectacular products if they can put millions of dollars and effort and research into creating something and some big you know, conglomerate from China or, or Korea or something can just come in and duplicate it within a period of months by just going through and stealing every bit of it. That That isn't allowed anywhere. That isn't allowed in cars. That isn't allowed in clothing. If you, if you took apart a, a coach bag and figured out how to make it and started selling it, you would be shut down by the government because that is illegal. You can't do that. And yet the media has created this idea that it's okay to do that for the smartphone because you know google or something i don't know i don't even get it i don't understand why there's people who are such fans of stealing because that's what it is and it's kind of a product of saying the same thing about the music industry there's all these people that write columns that are saying oh yeah it's it's okay for their audience to steal content it's not okay to steal it's not okay for companies to charge ridiculous amounts of money for digital media." But creating this idea that it's okay to steal because people do it, that's wrong. Shouldn't be encouraging people to, to steal and to like, I don't know. I'm, I'm really unimpressed with most of the tech media. I think they're, what they're saying is bad for the tech industry. And it's bad for artists and creators and inventors and people who create the value of, you know, people who make our society and our civilization better. you know, pushing them out of the way and saying, hey, I want to give all my money to people who are ripping you off. I don't understand that. It it makes me just, uh, I don't know. I I just think it's really stupid.
1: Now, Samsung was supposed to have their first Tizen smartphone out in some parts of the world later this year. It's been postponed. But as far as Google is concerned, if Samsung goes all the way and puts all their marketing muscle behind their own homegrown Android sets up their own system bribes developers to get apps on it what happens to google first of all is it even possible
2: i think they thought it was going to be easier than it is it's a big deal to come up with an operating system and if you look at other attempts to like palm os palm was a significant company with development tools and stuff they brought in people a lot of people from apple and came up with this sort of web based and the easiest way to make a a mobile device operating system and yet they struggled to get any traction at all. They were purchased by HP, this tremendously huge company with all kinds of resources and made its own hardware and all this stuff, and they completely fumbled it. They didn't know what to do with it. That's kind of typical for how companies work. You can't just buy stuff and flip it around and create an amazing product. REM did the same thing. When they bought all these different companies, um, they bought QNX, which was somewhat of a highly regarded System in terms of in, in some applications, not for security, but um, they bought a lot of technology and mixed it up in a pot and came up with something that, you know, wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't finished. It's a, it's a lot of work. Apple made it look really easy to create the iPhone, but there was a lot of work in making that. And there was a lot of ugly bits. It took them years to fix every aspect of it to where it was a, a major operating system, but they were way ahead of everybody else in the game. So even when Microsoft belatedly tried to do it three or four years later, um, even with all their history in making Windows Mobile, they have struggled to gain any sort of foothold with Windows Phone. What what can Samsung do with Tizen, which it's not new? I mean, that's been rolling around for a while. It was Mobile Linux, and then it, you know Nokia worked on it, and then Intel put a lot of effort in it. You know, for various reasons that those companies wanted a competitor of their own to sell Intel chips for, for Intel, for example. But Samsung has tremendous reason to want to have its own operating system. And there were plenty of documents that leaked during the trial that showed why and showed how intensely Samsung was trying to figure out what operating system it could put on its phones and how quickly it could make its own stuff and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, Samsung would love to have its own operating system and part ways with Google because Google's telling it what to do right now. But that's really a lot of work. Google has put tons of resources and money into Android. And Samsung doesn't have the same software expertise, they don't really have any, plat- they don't have any platform experience. Even bringing in people to kind of work on it for them, it's they've been struggling with this for quite a long time. And it's not easy to do. If you look at Apple, you know, Apple bought Next, it took them years to like turn this functional operating system into something that Mac users would buy and it then matured for another 10 years.
1: Let's go back to the timing here. Apple bought Next at the end of 1996. The first public beta of OS X came out in September of 2000 and is released the following March of 2001. It took three or four years for the operating system to become really useful. So at the minimum, we were talking of an eight-year process, maybe a nine-year process to perfect OS 10. It's not something that happens overnight, and people today still complain. Of course, they complain about every operating system. The key being here is that you don't build this out of whole cloth by snapping your fingers.
2: And if you look at when Apple was developing OS 10, they had tremendous experience in, in doing stuff in the past, and they brought in all these people from Next who knew had you know their own set of experience. Uh, but they were competing against Microsoft, and Microsoft had a lot of You know, domination, but Microsoft was also extremely dysfunctional as a company. And, you know, under Steve Ballmer, the period of of the 2000s, Microsoft just crashed and failed over and over and over again, everything they did. So Apple kind of had the perfect circumstances to finish OS X and to introduce iOS because there wasn't anyone making a competent mobile operating system that was relevant to, you know, when the iPhone came out, there was this was the technology that was available and that could be brought to market. There wasn't anybody who could harness that like Apple could. I mean they basically took a lot of their Mac work and just put it on a mobile device. And nobody else had that. Today, anyone who's gonna come into the market is already competing against Apple, and they're also competing against Android, which has market momentum and people, you know, talk about and stuff. So even a you know a company like Microsoft, they've been pushing Windows Phone for how long now? I mean, it came around 2010, didn't it? That's like four years. And they've gone basically nowhere. They bought Nokia, and now they own a company that's dutifully pushing out phones as fast as they can. But it's still, I mean, they have virtually no presence. Can Samsung come in and create another platform that's going to have any... Um, Relevance—it's not clear because they've tried to do things. They've tried to make kind of Galaxy into a platform, their own brand, and they've had some developer groups and, and tried to create apps that only work on their products. They haven't had much success. So the fact that they're using Android just because there's no other choice doesn't doesn't provide a lot of hope that Tizen is going to come in and just you know flip the switch around but if they do if they just start shipping Tyson on a lot of their cheap devices and it becomes like a good enough sort of feature phone type experience to where they can sell it in the developing world and they can sell it to um, you know people in America who are buying whatever Verizon and AT&T are pushing at them um, every tizen phone they sell is one less android phone so that becomes a problem but i don't see any way that samsung creates a device that's sells at a profit. Certainly not anything like the iPhone. Because people keep forgetting the iPhone sells at a profit margin of like 35 to 40%. Samsung is one of the only companies that makes any money on Android devices. And their uh, profit margins have collapsed from around 22% to around 15%. Let's
1: get into more of this in the next segment. Daniel Aaron Dilger is here. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live
8: not just an alternative to the mainstream media we're the premier independent talk radio network we are g c n If you own a
12: business, you need customers, right? Well, your potential customers are listening to this radio program right now, and I can help you reach them. Hi, I'm Matt Brower, a national marketing executive at the radio network responsible for this program. I can help you customize a national radio campaign that fits your budget, large or small, while targeting your specific audience. Call me to learn how radio advertising can make your business more profitable. 877-996-4327, extension 128. That's 877-996-4327, extension 128.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: Cutting-edge commentator Daniel Aaron Dilger is here. He works with Apple Insider and Roughly Drafted Magazine. You're on the Tech Night Owl Live. And the point being here is that Samsung's profits are collapsing, less than half of Apple's per unit, not working so well for them. So I guess Samsung really, as a practical matter, because they're not walking into the market with being original, they're just imitating, would do better at this point to settle with Apple and get that out of their lives and do their best with their own systems and their own smartphones. I thought Samsung products are bad. It's just that the flashy features don't really work. Let's move to Microsoft a little bit here. Now, someone suggested here that since Microsoft is focusing more heavily again, and I'm not sure how to phrase this, services, cloud services, productivity, not so much devices. Is Microsoft better off killing the Surface tablet? We can get into more of that in a moment. They're already shedding 40% of the employees of Nokia, maybe clean it up a little bit, sell it off to another company, and maybe just keep the Xbox and concentrate on software for any platform who will buy it?
2: Well, remember that Microsoft's whole business model for a long time was kind of built around Windows and Office, and they were making so much money that they could lose billions of dollars on every other thing that they did. The Xbox lost tremendous amounts of money. Before, I mean, for years, for many years, for I think eight years, before starting to break even to where it was kind of like, this is sort of paying for itself. Microsoft doesn't have that kind of money anymore coming in. Not the, not the just money forever that everyone kind of thought Microsoft would have. So at this point, they have to do things that make sense. They have to, they have to build products that have a return on investment. And they're not able to do that. They weren't able to do that when they had like just vast amounts of money and kind of rosy prospects going forever in the future. So what they're trying to do is shift and and the, the market for paying $500 for office is gone. People aren't doing that anymore. So their best bet is to start selling subscriptions where people pay $100 a year for it and hope that they don't have competition in the app space because they do now. And previously they didn't. So Microsoft has a series of kind of serious problems and things are far more dire than anyone realizes because the numbers of employees that Microsoft is cutting are real employees. The number of, of people that Microsoft actually hires is completely hidden behind layers of garbage. And tons of people who work with Microsoft or for Microsoft in some way are contract employees, that are kept contract employees so that Microsoft doesn't have to pay them benefits. I don't know if contract employee is the right word, but they're people who work for a company that Microsoft contracts with. So there's all these people that sort of work for Microsoft and may even even think of themselves as working for Microsoft, but they don't really work for Microsoft in a way that would make Microsoft legally have to pay their benefits.
1: It's like going to one of these part-time agencies, employment agencies. And they give you a long term gig with a company. But they could basically cancel that in a moment's notice. They have no obligation. They have no obligation for anything.
2: Right. Goodbye. And they're they're technically not employees of, of Microsoft. It's not like they're just temp employees. They're actually contractors with they work for a different company. But anyway, this this structural arrangement, Microsoft has been canning tons of these people. So there's all these people that, you know, were kind of working for Microsoft or doing the basically doing the work of people who are actually work for microsoft they don't work there anymore microsoft is cutting tons of these people and it's not reported but it's happening so there's a huge shift going on right now and i think that's going to have very significant long-term impacts on you know windows in general and, and everything in the pc world because there's huge amounts of real money in ios Apple's making money, but also developers, competent developers are making lots of money. And there are now um, jobs being created in other companies that are building iOS apps. And you have partnerships like going with IBM where they're working to build apps that work well and are designed entirely around this ecosystem of um, mobile devices, and particularly the iPad, that Apple's created, and that nobody else has. Google has created a tablet that looks kind of like an iPad, but it doesn't have the same sort of development tools. And there's no um, ecosystem around building Android tablets, tablet apps. Because you can just build a smartphone app and stretch it a little bit, but that's not the same experience. The iPad is much more like a PC. The, all of the Android tablets are very much like a stretched smartphone. That's a different thing. And it's really important in the enterprise because there are some people who are attracted to the you know the idea of cheap and whatever. And you see schools or whatever that are rolling out Chromebooks or companies that saying, "Oh yeah, we use Android tablets." Well, th- that adoption is almost completely insignificant. And if you look at stats from any company that does mobile device management, it's very clear that that's the case. Everybody is using iOS to the point where it's surprising even me. Um, but when you have when you Apple's creating this ecosystem that's similar to what Microsoft had, where you have a lot of people that are benefiting from the product that Apple's making. And you have a lot of companies that are investing significantly in building apps, and they have no interest in creating, you know, duplicating their work so that it can work on all these different kinds of devices that are a little bit cheaper and harder to manage. That There's no benefit there. They're not saving any money doing that. They're spending a lot of extra money. So... I think there's going to be a big shift in in the enterprise and adoption of, of Apple. And then Apple executives keep saying that they keep pointing that out. And nobody in the media is even maybe not even aware of it, but they're certainly not talking about it. I think that's kind of interesting too. And instead you know, they're talking, Oh, you know, here's HP's making another $99 tablet. And it's like, well, I don't think that that's really going to matter because what is it running this time? Is it running windows? Is it running Android? There's, No companies that are spending huge development resources building apps for a platform that who knows where it's going. And who knows if HP is going to continue making these $99 tablets. And are they even good? Are they reliable? We don't know.
1: You know, when you mentioned $99 tablets from HP, I think of the touchpad, which is what, $499 and nobody bought it. And a few weeks I had a fire sale for $99. But now if you go like to Walmart, and you'll see these no-name tablets for $50 or $59. And you think, well, is HP able to offer much more for $99?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it is. It's, it's built by the same companies. But, you know, there's, there's quite clearly very little uh, consumer and or business interest in those kind of products. So I think if you look at what Apple's saying... People keep trying to, you know, people in the media keep trying to create problems for Apple. It's like, oh, there's if they create a bigger smartphone, you know, bigger iPhone 6, then their tablet sales are going to fall apart. And it's like, well, perhaps it will have some impact where consumers will say, oh, my phone is big enough. I don't need an iPad to sit on the couch with. Perhaps. But the iPad is doing something completely different. It's not an Android tablet. It's not just for sitting on the couch and watching you know, YouTube videos on. It's eating into PC sales in a very clear and obvious way. That is so important that IDC and Garner Group and all these companies are desperately trying to distract any attention away from it so that nobody knows that it's happening. But it's very clearly happening. It's been happening for a very long time.
1: There's no question. Yet the sales of the iPad have gone down somewhat. Is that because the longer replacement cycle is getting in the way?
2: Well, there's a number of of reasons why Apple's selling iPads. They're selling uh, cyclical numbers to schools and to consumers and and markets like that that once you kind of uh satiate demand for those kind of markets it's going to sell more when it first comes out and then it's going to sell less afterward is very cyclical numbers um so if you compare one cycle that happens to be in in q2 last year with a different cycle that happens to be in q2 this year yeah there's a difference and um at the same time there's a lot of fundamental support growing for ipad in enterprise and government markets
1: let's explore that in our final segment with daniel aaron dilger i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night out live I'm Miller here with Midas Resources. Today,
12: August 22nd, 2014. Gold opened at 1279.20. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 132582, 662.91 for a half ounce, or 331.45 for a quarter ounce. That's 662 dollars 662.91, and three thirty one forty five.
4: Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800 686 2237
9: moms of america stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids i pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again i pledge to stop
10: letting my daughter walk all over me i pledge to stop living in fear of
6: my son's anger i pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again Because I'm not.
10: I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom.
9: I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you
11: need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Call now. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795.
15: What good is a big Berkey water filter?
16: We get that question a lot here at bigberkeywaterfilters.com. And in a word, the answer is protection protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's Powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call one 99 berkey That's eight seven seven ninety nine 99 berkey Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at com. That's news at com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightOwl.com/ slash radio. That's technightOwl.com/ slash radio. Or
1: subscribe on iTunes. Daniel Aaron Dilger is with us, writes for appleinsider.com. And sometimes for roughly draftedcom at least to have announcements about these episodes. Okay, so we're talking here about the fact that the iPad has a large presence in the enterprise. And I'm assuming here with IBM in the picture, with all their salespeople and contract salespeople, you've got loads and loads of people there who will be pushing iPads and iPhones. Is that going to make a huge difference then in sales?
2: Well, the sales is a complicated... It's because it's a composite of a lot of things that are happening. Like I was saying, it's like there's consumer sales that are like the iPad or the, the iPod. Remember Apple sell, sold most of its iPods in the winter for Christmas. There's education cyclicality, which happens at the beginning of the school season. And there's an increasing amount of sales in a, in the enterprise and government. And you mentioned it's a relatively large amount of sales. Uh, the thing is, it's not a huge number. It's broadly across every company in the Fortune, you know, all the big companies are looking at iOS, but they haven't bought huge amounts yet, but they're starting to invest in it. And that's all kind of important because Google has not invested anything in, in enterprise. In fact, they've kind of pedaled backwards. And if you do any research in it, you'll see everyone is saying, why didn't Google put any effort into enterprise because they don't get it. I mean, Google is all about pushing ads in front of consumers. They don't even understand the concept of selling products to people like the enterprise. So that's why Google has completely dropped the ball in enterprise. And why would Google invest a lot of effort in selling, um, Samsung products to the enterprise that they make no money from? That's I understand
1: also that they had licensed the Samsung technology for the enterprise.
2: Samsung uh, Knox which they created with the idea of adding some security to Android came out. They talked about it as being the safe, secure, super bulletproof system. Um, nobody bought it. Samsung executives were saying nobody's buying this. We're, we're, we're pushing it on all these phones automatically. No one's actually using it. Some tiny percent, like 2% of, of the installed base is actually being used. Knox is not an incredibly successful product. And actually, Samsung went to other tech companies and said, hey, Knox is garbage. We know it. We want your technology and we want to work with you. And the result was that Samsung stole their technology, basically, and rolled it into Knox. And if it was a tremendously great technology, Samsung would be holding on to it as a proprietary feature. But it's clearly not. And Google, you know, when they came to Samsung, we don't know everything they did, but they've been fighting for pretty intensely and in, in, in documented ways for the last couple of years. At the beginning of the year, one of the things they said was, hey, you can't make this magazine UX that looks not like Android and put it on your tablets because we want to control the, what, what users are going to see Google ads through. We want to control that. We want to make sure that you don't create your own Google and just knock us out of the picture. And we're going to put in roadblocks so that you can't even use our stuff on Android if you don't do it our way. Trying to play hardball as best as possible. And part of part of this sort of tense negotiation has been that Google is now announcing that Android Five or Android L, whatever they're calling it, um, will have Samsung Knox. Well, what does that mean? doesn't really mean anything specifically because Knox is kind of a variety of things, but it's, it's kind of containerization, it's mobile device management, various things. So it was kind of Google sort of bluffing that it had some relevance in, in the enterprise. And of course, the media picked it up and, oh, yeah, you know everything Google says is true, except for, you know, if you read our archives, everything they've said was not true. But, yeah, so... Android 5, which comes out later this year, is going to have knocks on it. And guess what the percentage of installed base of Android 5 is going to be a year from now, a year after it ships. Probably going to be like Android KitKat, which is around 15% maybe after a year of being out there. Because you just can't get updates for a lot of things. Even Google's own Nexus phones, they're, they're not providing KitKat updates that they came out with last year for phones that are less than two years old.
1: We got the problem that Google says every time, we're going to solve this and find a way to get these updates, never happens. Let's move back to Microsoft because you have about three minutes left. So at the end of the day, what does Satya Nadella do to save Microsoft? That's not obviously a two and a half minute answer, but maybe you can give a cross section.
2: Well, he's trying to refocus the company on things that it's good at, which makes some sense, but it appears a lot of what he's doing is pulling in people pulling in foreign workers from India to make products that are relevant to people in India is is my is what I see when I look at what he's doing and what he's saying. I'm not sure that that's going to work in Western markets or even in China. Because when you go with that kind of a strategy, what's going to stop the Chinese from doing the same thing? And in the West, if you look at the products that Microsoft is selling, nobody's buying Lumia phones. Not nobody's zero, but not in significant numbers to move the needle, When it's Mobile in general. Windows tablets, people are not buying them. The Surface is not selling in in, uh, quantities that are significant enough to matter. And they're losing money for, what is this, the third straight year? They're continuing to lose significant amounts of money. More than they make, I believe. I think, I mean, the last numbers I saw, they're, they're hemorrhaging huge amounts of money on on surface, but more importantly, they're making none. And even Windows on the desktop, Windows eight has been very poorly received. And if you have ever used some of these notebooks, it, it, I find it bewildering. It's like, what are they thinking? They're, they're under Balmer, They're really trying to be Apple. And I haven't seen the the product of of his work, like what he wants Microsoft to be. But at this point, Microsoft seems to be very very intensely targeted and has sort of an ingrained culture of let's turn the ship around and be like apple let's make something that looks sort of like the ipad and mixes it up with the windows desktop and nobody has been responding to that it hasn't been successful it hasn't been successful in windows phone hasn't been successful in windows 8 point whatever uh and it's not clear how they can turn that around and you need to go back to being the Bill Gates Microsoft where it's kind of this nerdy doodly thing that you struggle with because the world already has Android. And can they take what they have and make it enough like Apple where it's this like polished, integrated system that it sells against Apple, because they're clearly not doing that either. So I don't I can't imagine a scenario where Microsoft like snaps into place and figures out what it's wants to do and effectively does it because I don't see any possible way of them doing that
1: well they have to come up with a strategy that can be expressed in less than 3,100 meaningless words Daniel Aaron Dilger please tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff
2: I write for Apple Insider and I have my old archives on Roughly Drafted and I'm on Twitter at at Daniel Aaron there you go Daniel
1: Aaron Dilger thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live
2: yeah thanks for having me Gene (laughs)
8: UnseenNow.com, proud sponsor of GCN. Unseen Now's unparalleled encryption tools. Keep your communications secure. GCN. Neighbors, are you
1: tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to A2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, A2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon
15: code Gene when you check out.
13: Whoa! This is big!
5: By popular demand, the Freeze-Dry Guy's giant factory-authorized sale has been extended. Now, through August, save 30 to 45% on number 10 cans of high-quality Mountain House Freeze-Dried Foods from the Freeze Dry Guy. Now is the time to stock up on all factory fresh stock of the finest, best-tasting, longest-proven shelf-life foods in the industry at giant savings of 30 to 45%. But hurry, supplies are limited, so this sale is only through the end of August. Call 866 404 3663 Free shipping to the lower 48 states. Click FreezeDryGuy.com or call 866 404 4 3 6 6 3. That's freezedryguy.com. Hurry, the giant factory authorized mountain house sale with savings of 30 to 45% is extended through August from the Freeze-Dry Guy, the finest freeze-dried and dehydrated foods available anywhere for long-term storage. What's going to happen next?
13: You never know when you're listening to The Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
1: We have Ben Williams. He's director of PR for Adblock Plus, and they claim to be the largest ad-blocking company of the world with over 300 million downloads. And all the big browsers, which is an exciting place to be. So let me ask you, Ben, in coming on the show, why would any of us need an ad blocker?
18: So uh, the, the, the question really for me is why wouldn't someone... Uh, need an ad blocker? Um, you know, you you surf around the internet, and there's all sorts of nasty ads um, that get in your way, that annoy you as you're trying to just read content, watch videos, etc. And um, ever since I started using one, um, I can't imagine uh, life on the internet without it. So uh, the main reason that everyone wants to use an ad is just so they can maintain some level of sanity while they're online. And so they can get stuff done.
1: Now, I understand here a lot of sites need the ads to basically earn their keep to make some money. So how do we respect the legitimate needs of the people who run a site to earn their keep and still not upset potential visitors?
18: Well, you touched on a really important point, Gene, because um, you know we have 300 million downloads, as you mentioned at the beginning. It's a free extension. It almost seems like there's no reason why you shouldn't do it. Um, but a couple years back, uh, as our numbers were growing and growing, we saw the problem you're just pointing out is there are a lot of people out there, um, and they put their content online, And it's a tacit exchange with the reader um, or the viewer that uh, the viewer will look at some ads, and then they can consume the content for free. So we, of course, like the idea of a free internet. And so we thought, can there be some sort of a compromise here? And so to tackle the problem, we came up with uh, a series of criteria. We saw the problem, uh, that problem a couple of years ago, um, because there's this tacit agreement between an internet user and the website that they're using that they will view the content for free, but that they have to view ads along with it. But the ads are getting more and more annoying. And as you pointed out at the beginning, there are 300 million downloads of Adblock Plus, and they're growing by 2 million a week. It's going really fast. So. Um, we thought there has to be some sort of compromise here. So we came up with some criteria and asked our users what kind of ads would you be willing to view? And um, so since uh, 2012 or so, we've been giving advertisers the chance to apply to what we call our acceptable ads program. And if they if they serve ads that meet these guidelines, then we can let their ads through.
1: Now let me ask you a question here. Must it be, the advertiser directly or the people who run the site were running those ads
18: It can be either one. It could be the publisher um, or the advertiser. They're usually the two main players. And um, some of the criteria that they have to go by is you know, they can't, it can't be attention grabbing, no pop ups, um, interstitials are not good. Uh, If if it's a link, it has to go where it says it's going to go. And really importantly, it sounds really elementary, but it has to be labeled an advertisement. Um, A lot of ads out there, they try to hide, camouflage themselves as real content. Um, So sometimes you need that little uh, part at the top that says advertisement.
1: Obviously, though, if it's a normal web banner, it's obviously an ad. You know, if you use Google ads or from any of the major commercial companies, it's obvious what the ad is. You could look at it or not. Now, interstitial, I want to ask you about that, because that is something that the pop-up blocker on your browser doesn't touch because normally with pop-up ads, they capture everything if you check it, except for another kind of ad, I'll tell you in a moment. Interstitial, where did that come about? Because here's what we have. You go up to a site, and a lot of the biggest companies do this, where suddenly you see this big overwhelming banner, and maybe there's a closed box somewhere, but you can't find it all the time. And the only way to see the content is to tap or click that close box. So where did this idea come? It's a lame idea.
18: Yeah, I totally agree with you, Gene. It's it's lame and it's really annoying. Um, Interstitials, unfortunately, have been around for a long time on the web. We do block interstitials. Um, and the idea, though, with the interstitial is to intrude on the the viewer as much as possible. And what the advertiser thinks is, yeah, if if I can get between them and their content, because that's when a lot of them come. For instance, there can be interstitial uh, video ads. So before your uh, ad starts uh, or, or between videos, sometimes you'll have an interstitial. Sometimes when you enter a site, um, actually Forbes.com is a really good uh, uh, example of this. If you go to Forbes, they have the, the word of the day or the thought of the day at the beginning. Well, they also couch an ad right there. It's a clever way to put an ad between you and your, and your content, and it's incredibly annoying. But uh, the good thing is, is we stop that.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. You know what bothers me also? You go to a site, and usatoday.com is one offender. And I mentioned this having at one time written for USA Today, but I don't want to just criticize the editorial staff. This is obviously something that's being done by the advertising department, where you open a page to read an article, and suddenly the video starts playing. And the video will either have something that's relevant to the article or even the article itself, someone reading it. But before you get to see the video, there's an ad. But I didn't ask for that video. There's no autoplay option to block it. Do I have to get an ad block plus or something else?
18: Yeah, that's that's the easiest thing to do. I mean, if if you um, if you were to download AdBlock Plus, it's on every major browser. So a lot of people are using Chrome uh, these days. It's on Firefox. It's on Internet Explorer. It's even on Opera, um, another browser. We have an Android app, and uh, you know you download that, and then you pretty much take care of all that all of the um video ads that you might see and you're talking about a video ad that comes sort of between you and your content but there's also the those video ads that come before youtube videos the, they're called pre-rolls and they're they're usually 30 seconds long and they are just incredibly annoying but uh, adblock plus blocks those by default
1: i'm familiar with that now sometimes with the ads they'll start the video for maybe five or ten seconds and then give you permission to skip the ad. And I really felt this because just in the last week, I've been watching videos about Robin Williams. He was one of my favorite performers. And his death, I think, stung everybody because he was such a, a lovely gentleman. And it was so sad the way he died. And so I wanted to see some of his appearances on TV shows, his various stand-up routines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You go to YouTube, of course, you have the... Add first. Now, we understand, again, YouTube wants to monetize the system. Google wants to make money. We respect that. But at the very least, if you don't block the video, give someone a chance to exit the video after a few seconds. Because you know, if someone wants to exit the video, they don't care about the product or service. If you care about the product or service, then you'll stay with it. So at the very least, we have that option. But the autoplay videos Just really get my goat. The other one here, which is similar to pop-up ads, is the pop-under ad, where it comes in back of the content, and that the pop-up blockers, the standard ones, don't seem to reach. What's that all about?
18: Well, uh, the thing is, is that, well, pop-unders, it's like... It's like this little terrible surprise after you've closed out your window. It's like, oh, that guy was behind <laughs> taking up bandwidth speed the entire time I was I was looking at the page I actually wanted to be on. Um, but uh, you know, again, fortunately, we we block those two pop-ups and pops pop unders um, are, uh, are are fairly easy to block uh, for AdBlock Plus. And um, yeah, they're, they're some of the definitely some of the most uh, annoying annoying kinds. Um, but getting back to the the, the video ads, um, yeah, sure. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of times, you you while you understand um, that they have uh, the right to monetize it, you you still want to skip that, and um, and that's uh, you know completely fine with AdBlock Plus uh, enabled as well.
1: Let's continue in our next segment. Okay. Ben Williams from AdBlock Plus. More to come. I'm the Tech Night Owl live.
8: GCN, proudly sponsored by unseennow.com. Find out how to stop Big Brother in his tracks at unseennow.com. This is GCN. It's the heart of summer across America. Thoughts turn to childhood and long days of fun. Everybody would love to feel like a kid again. And HB Extract can be a vital tool in your battle to stay vibrant and young as it supports healthy blood pressure and circulation while balancing cholesterol. GCN and longtime sponsor HB Extract want to help keep your heart healthy with the 30-bottle, 30-day summer giveaway. Enter to win by visiting GCNlive.com between now and August 29th. And click on the content test banner in the top left corner of the page. HB Extract has helped tens of thousands of people worldwide feel good again, and they've done it with HB Extract's exclusive formula of wild-crafted and organic herbs. Here's to you enjoying many more long, warm, and fun-filled summers, free of pain and sickness. Visit GCNlive.com and enter to win in the 30-bottle, 30-day summer giveaway with HB Extract. A healthy heart is a happy heart. Sign up now at GCNlive.com.
13: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg.
1: Here on the Tech Night Isle live, Ben Williams, Director of PR for Adblock Plus. We're talking about getting rid of annoying ads and still allowing people to make a living. So if I am Someone who runs a website, and I do, I run several, and I want to bring out ads there because I have to monetize it. I have to pay the bills. What should I be doing to avoid upsetting the customers or the ad blocker? I have, by the way, an Andy ad blocker utility for WordPress, but it mostly puts up a message saying, do you really want to block our ads? We need them to make a living. So what does a company do so as not to upset the customers, but still do what they have to do?
18: Well, we've talked a lot to customers and users, and, and the things that they um, are okay with, um, and, the, and the the uh, the basis, the criteria for the acceptable ads that I talked about before are basically that ad, uh, ads that are relevant ads that stay out of the content. Some of the worst ones, as you were talking about before, are interstitials, because they get between you and your content. But what if you're in the middle of reading an article and there's suddenly this huge ad and you had to jump over it to get to the rest of it? That's also something that you, I would say would be a no-no. Um, doing things that the user does not want to happen um, and has no control over. Those really make people mad. And then also you just want to be honest with people. If you're an ad, say it. A lot of ads out there try to disguise themselves as something that's not an ad. So the best thing to do is just to you know, say you're an advertisement, be honest with the consumer, because ultimately consumers don't appreciate being uh, treated like idiots.
1: So let me ask you here something. I'm a normal consumer. I'm going online. I'm being assaulted by this. But if I'm the advertiser, And I want to present my product or services. And some of the people who put up these interstitials and pop-up ads, they're blue-chip advertisers. They're major companies. So the first and foremost thing is, if I'm trying to sell a product or service, why do I want to piss off my customers?
18: Well, a, a lot of times the problem is is that that people will sell if you their ad inventory to a big ad server, and uh, they don't exactly know how the ad server is going to serve that inventory. So uh, a lot and, and that that happens a lot of times with publishers. They'll like someone like you who owns some websites. You may buy some ad inventory, and you don't realize what kind of crappy ads or ads that may make some people mad, may be pumped onto your site. So, you know, the, as, as a consumer, uh, I think you just have to watch, be be wary of the ads you see. The best thing, of course, in my opinion, to do is, is get an ad blocker, get Adblock Plus. But, uh, you know, um, if, if you're uh, an advertiser out there, I think that the, uh, the best thing to do is to serve relevant, good ads and go through ad servers that you know.
1: Now... With Google AdSense, the ads they serve are pretty normal, pretty decent, not offensive. There is a third-party ad service that we do use from time to time, but they give you a list of categories to exclude. So if you spend a little time judiciously checking off those categories, you don't get the really offensive ads. You get the ones that are far more benign, and that's one way of handling it.
18: It, it's true it, it, there 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 is that possibility, of course. Um, but uh, the thing is is if you buy a whole lot, especially if you have a large site and you buy a whole lot of ad volume you can't always be sure, even if you check off that it's not supposed to be offensive in content, you don't know how it might be offensive in the way that it's served. Um, Because a lot of times, uh, you know, you have an ad that, you know, maybe about say a very normal product, say coffee uh, makers, but um, the ad itself is done in really poor quality. It blinks, it jumps in the middle of content, pops up, pops under, et cetera, et cetera. And as a publisher, you may not be in complete control of that so it does present a little bit of a problem even if you can opt out of some of the types of ads that are considered offensive by the ad server
1: so in this case when you make an arrangement with one of these companies that will bring ads and give you pay-per-click revenue you be careful what they present if you find it's offensive or your site visitors are offended by it You don't use them. Now, I also have to wonder here, when you have a responsible company like a Forbes or USA Today, and these are blue chip companies, blue chip publishers, maybe we should contact Malcolm Forbes or something, or Steve (laughs) Forbes over there, of course, and say, hey, man, why are you doing this to your visitors? Don't you think you might get more traffic if you're a little bit more low-key about the ads and therefore being more low-key at the end of the day, those advertisers would get more business.
18: Well, I mean, that's what we keep telling people with our criteria, and 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 that is actually one other way, Gene. You can you can be really sure about the ads that get through is if you go to us, and then you get through to um, the millions of people who use ad blockers. If you've got a huge, huge site like, say, a Forbes you're talking about, um, it's very, very difficult if you buy a big, big volume of ads to know exactly where all those ads are coming from. And unfortunately, a lot of times, especially towards the end of of a month when the ad inventory is getting low, even if you think you've paid for something pretty decent, you may be getting some really crappy, annoying stuff for products that your customers aren't interested in at the end of the ad cycle.
1: Oh, boy, what a business this is. Let me ask you the hard question, though, here. With Adblock Plus, it's free to download, it's free to install. How do you pay your employees? How do you earn your keep?
18: Well, we've only got about 28 uh, employees, so it's not it's not that tough. But um, the way that we do it is through the Acceptable Ads program I was talking about before. If you meet the criteria that, um, that we set forth, then it's quite a lot of a service for us to let your ads pass through our filters. And uh, we charge the bigger companies who apply to um, what we call our acceptable ads program a fee of the extra money that they make because of our service.
1: So this way they're buying their way into getting those ads and bypassing your blocker. But at the same time, if they're delivering offensive ads, then the people who download your product are not going to do it. So you are honor bound to give them something they would appreciate.
18: Exactly. Like it's not really buying into it. It's more like they have to fulfill the criteria because put it this way, or as as you said, you know, if they, if they um if they start serving bad ads, we kick them out. And uh, number two, um, if we start loosening up our policies, we have some users who um, are very, very uh, strict (laughs) and pay a lot of attention. And they just uh, basically kick us to the curb. And without our users, we've got nothing. So uh, we kind of... We kind of skate that space between the users and uh, the advertisers and the publishers, but the idea, the, the, the ground we're trying to get to is some sort of a compromise because, uh, as I was saying before, ad blocking use is going through the roof, and if we want to maintain a free internet, we have to find some sort of middle ground between the people who don't want to be annoyed and the advertisers um, on the other side, and we've been fairly successful so far. It's only been around about two years, and we have quite a few people on our list. And, um, you know, our user numbers are um, growing steadily.
1: Well, it's good to know that someone has found a way. I would also hope here, in all sincerity, Ben, that the advertisers who get stuck in these offensive ads would wake up and realize this is not helping their business. Now, isn't it also true that really banner advertising specifically is getting very saturated? And for example, Google, which obviously must be number one in offering banner advertising, they don't get bid as high a price to run those ads anymore. So is this the reason, this excess that's causing that problem?
18: Sort of. I think that it's also banner blindness, Users see a banner um, and they know that it's an ad uh, because it's one. It's one of the oldest uh, formats, and they just they they see it, but they don't see it. The click rate on banner ads, um, and that's the amount of um, times that people actually uh, click on the ad, is under is like zero point one one percent, and a lot, and a lot of those clicks you have to assume are probably unsupervised kids, <laughs> because who really clicks on banners anymore? Um, so I think I think it's a little bit of what you were saying, but I also think that it's just the fact that um, people don't click on banners anymore. So naturally, um, you know, people aren't going to pay very much money for them. Uh, it is, however, you know, a good sign because we have, through our Acceptable Ads program, been able to encourage. We think a better ad atmosphere where people respect what the user wants, and then they get rewarded. Because I don't think most people are anti ad. There are those people who out there who are, but I think there. Most people they just want ads that respect them too, and the problem with most a lot of internet ads is that they just don't respect the users, and um, you know the users are going to punish you for it.
1: Hey Ben, tell our listeners where they can find more information or get a copy of AdBlock Plus.
18: Sure, Gene. Um, So you want to go to adblockplus.org, and um, there you can download it for free on any browser that you may use. So go there. It doesn't even require a restart, and it's completely free.
1: Ben Williams, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. You bet, Gene. Thanks a bunch.
8: Free from the shackles of corporate America. We're the place for independent thinkers. GCN. Good people need help. The
0: Homeowners Association said we had weeds and fined us $25. We told them they had the wrong house. They said if we didn't pay it, they'd file a lien. Our attorney demanded photographs, witnesses, and told them if they couldn't provide this, they must cease and desist. Issue solved. Worry less and live more with LSprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE. That's 855-340-7283.
4: Six eight six two two three seven.
20: Have you ever noticed how many sick and miserable people there are? I'm serious. I'm talking about people of all ages who have conditions and diseases which affect their quality of life. Most of them seem to have one thing in common, polypharmacy. That is dependence on multiple prescription drugs with side effects that actually make them sicker and sicker, not healthy. The good news is that people are waking up to the fact that if you supply your body with all of the nutrients it requires, you will feel better, be healthier, and have a better life. It's important to know that Beyond Tangy Tangerine is the the most amazing, great tasting, comprehensive nutritional supplement. Besides supplying all the vitamins our bodies need, it also supplies the necessary minerals that are required for the vitamins to kick in. Look, folks, I'm hooked on it, and I think if you try it, you'll become hooked. This stuff really works. That's why I'm urging you to make it part of your daily health regimen. Visit InfoWarsTeam.com to secure your canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine today. Sign up for auto ship and save on shipping costs. That's Beyond Tangy Tangerine at InfoWarsTeam.com.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: We have Kirk McElhern joining us. He is the iTunes guy for Macworld and is an avid classical music fan. Uh, Oh, we're going to talk
21: classical music this week.
1: No, we're not. But I thought I mentioned that. He's also a wild and crazy guy. No, he's not. Sometimes. Well, tell us more. I want to know how you are (laughs) wild and crazy.
21: Nah, I'm just going to keep that between us, Gene. Okay. We'll always have Paris, Gene.
1: Yes, we will. Or you will. I won't. Any case here. I just got something in the local newspaper a few weeks back. A little sticker from the local cable company Cox says... Coming is Gig Life. Of course, you know what that means, right?
21: No, not really.
1: Gigabit Internet.
21: Ah, okay. Pretty cool, pretty cool.
1: They are trying to find a scheme to use existing cable technology to boost the speed four to six times over what it is now. They're giving you 150 megabits if you subscribe to their top-line ultimate service. So this means that you will have gigabit service supposedly being rolled out this fall in some of their markets, including the Phoenix area, and ultimately through their entire coverage area. AT&T is doing this too, I guess in response to Google? Google, yeah. Google Um, Fiber.
21: Google's been doing this in a number of cities, but it doesn't seem like big cities for now, right? The the cities I've seen listed are, what, medium-sized cities. Austin, Um, Texas? Yeah, but
1: it's not a major city. Don't tell Bob Levitas that he thinks he's in a major city.
21: Well, for me, a major city is New York, Chicago, Washington, Los Angeles, you know, the top tier cities. I hear um, you. Here, if you remember, I lived in York for about six months, eight months. Um, they recently announced that York is going to be a pilot city for ultra high speed broadband. But I think the ultra high speed here is only about 50 or 150. I don't think they're going for gigabit. But frankly, right now, I know we need to look into the future. It's not going to be one of these things like whoever said back in the day, who needs more than 64K RAM in a computer, that kind
1: of thing. Bill Gates denies that he ever said that.
21: Okay. But if you've got 20, 50 megabits, do you really need a gigabit? It's way overkill. Okay. Let's imagine 4K video comes out and the files are, well, they're actually bigger than four times. What are they? 16 times as big. But still, you'll be able to stream, if you have 50 megabits, you'll be able to stream 4K video. Um, it would be nice to have gigabit internet, but I can't really see the use for anyone who's not a business or who wants to torrent gazillions of movies.
2: Well,
1: I think that's part of it here. Also, it's the buzz value. But the real question is here, will it be affordable? Now, Google charges, I think, $70. $70. Now the deal with AT&T is seventy dollars if you take advertising, targeted ads. Otherwise it's a hundred dollars. Really? And I think for most people, when it comes down to targeted ads, I'll take the hundred dollars if I have it.
21: How would the targeted ads be displayed? Are these in your browser?
1: I guess I don't know how else you do
21: it. I wouldn't I wouldn't take a lower price account for I wouldn't I'd never do that. I hate ads as it is, but if they're gonna sort of insert ads into things you're doing um, no that would be right out
1: I would have to really look into how they do it what the mechanism is I agree with you it would be offensive no matter how it's structured so I wouldn't take it unless you're really on a budget now I'm paying between 30 and 40 dollars for my internet it's one of these special discount deals for the first year and I get 40 down 20 megabits upload which is a pretty good service Actually, though, in my neighborhood, they seem to get close to 50 down. That, I think, is about all the speed I worry about. Maybe taking one of these large updates from Apple takes a bit of time, downloading a huge video file. But mostly when I view anything related to movies, it's streaming, and the streaming performance is just fine. So I also thought, by the way, that when we had 10 megabit download it was more than i'd ever need so what did i know well
21: it is more than you need most of the time i i had when i was in new york i had 15 megabits when i was in france i had a little bit less than about 10 now i've got two we've discussed i've got satellite for when i need big downloads i really don't often need the satellite um i i downloaded the latest yosemite developer preview or actually i updated so it was less than a gigabyte i wasn't downloading a whole new installer I switched to the satellite to do that, just because it's easier. Um, But 98% of what I do is fine with the speeds that I have. If I download an album from the iTunes store from another vendor, okay, it takes 15 minutes instead of three minutes, or two minutes, or one minute, it would take you. But it's not that big a deal.
1: Before you go on, fast question. How do you switch between your internet connections?
21: Um, I have two routers. I have two Airport Extreme routers, and so one is for each network. So I just switch my Wi-Fi.
1: That makes sense. I have everything wired here, but I have no interest in having double connections, although obviously if I was testing something, I would. So basically right now, most people probably don't need gigabit, but there is also the situation here where if more and more of our digital life is retrieving movies, and the movies are retrieved in 4K, and you have several family members with 4k tvs it's the future and they give you enough bandwidth to sustain this maybe it will mean something i think now it's more hype
21: i think it's more hype now because we don't have 4k video yet or at least it's not consumer it's not accessible to consumers um we've just started getting 4k tvs i know a couple of I think a couple of studios are making some 4K movies, but I don't even know how they're delivering. Are they putting them on Blu-ray? Um, they're putting actually- that There's
1: no Blu-ray 4K standard. I think they're putting them on fixed hard drives. Netflix has a 4K streaming protocol. And just remember this too, more and more affordable 4K sets are coming out. I got a press release from Vizio. They're P-series sets where you can get something like a 50-inch set for a $1,000 supposedly genuine 4K, is coming out this fall. Now, that could really jumpstart that market big time because Vizio has a really big installed base. Their products are always better than the price indicates. They get pretty decent reviews. And, of course, they have a very big market presence in the discount warehouse stores like Sam's Club, Costco. They're in Best Buy. So I expect when these sets become more and more mainstream, everybody will have them, ultimately.
21: Yeah. A few years ago, I'm pretty sure you were saying that everyone would have a 3D set as well.
1: No, I didn't. Well, I thought, you know what, I thought they would only if it came cheap enough. But Vizio has cut out 3D completely.
21: Well, what I wanted to say is everyone does have a 3D TV set, but no one uses it. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least no one uses them for 3D.
1: Well, I don't think everybody has them. I think... You buy a TV set, but 3D doesn't matter. Well, I difference.
21: don't think you can buy a TV set without 3D these days, can sure you? Sure you
1: can. I just said, Vizio's new sets for 2014 yeah, oh, but hold on. don't.
21: So, wait, you're talking about the new ones that they're dropping 3D. I think everything that exists right now probably still has 3D.
1: The lower end sets do not. Okay. You still have 3D <clears throat> in the higher end sets, but remember, Vizio owns a big portion of the affordable TV market, especially in the larger screens. So Mm -hmm. you're going to see here over time that 3d would be ditched to save money. They don't need to give you that. I'd rather have better black levels, a wider viewing angle, better quality picture than I'd rather have 3d 3d in the home. I think for 99.9% of our audience is a waste.
21: Yeah. And remember that. Remember that one of the reasons that, The TV industry tried to make this something that people wanted wasn't because people wanted it to start with. It was because people weren't upgrading their TVs because people don't upgrade their TVs that often. Uh, Everyone had already upgraded to HD in the past, what, five to ten years, and all of a sudden, the TV industry was in a slump, so they had to think of something else. Now, 3D movies obviously exist, and some people see them, um, but I, I... I've rarely spoken to anyone who uses 3D in the home ever.
1: Let me tell you something. In our next segment, we have Kirk McElhern joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs>
22: Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. We
23: live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, LegalShield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let LegalShield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE,
6: 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. The
10: human body is extraordinary.
1: Kirk McElhern is the iTunes guy for Macworld. We're talking about TVs after talking about gigabit internet, about 3D. Vizio, speaking of Vizio, sent me for review a 3D set from their mainstream line, the E-Series, for 2013. That's a pretty good set. You know, I think they cost now, what, $750, $800 for a 50 or 55-inch 50 50 set. Okay, had 3D, it has what they call passive glasses. They don't have electronics, the same kind of you get in the movie theaters; they're very cheap. So I got a copy of Man of Steel, the Superman reboot in 3D. It comes with multiple Blu-ray discs. One is 3D, one is regular, etc. We watched the 3D version exactly once. The next time we decided to see the movie, we saw the standard version because 3D restricts you and what you want to do. You're kind of locked into a specific place to sit for the best picture. You've got to wear yeah. the dumb glasses. You've
21: got to wear the glasses.
1: Yeah. Especially you've got to wear the dumb glasses. I think if and when they develop an affordable, practical, efficient, and well-operating 3D system where you don't need the glasses, then I think maybe they'll give it another try. Right now, the reason we had 3D is the fault of James Cameron and the movie Avatar.
21: Yeah, that That's was the it. first thing. That's it, it's week, all that.
1: Wasn't?
21: Yeah. Well, there's still a lot of movies in 3D, um, but it just doesn't make sense for the home. So a- as you say, if they're going to start dropping it for 4K, the-, the problem is 4K doesn't make sense for the home either. We're years away from it making sense. The same way, I mean, 4K is the same kind of upgrade as HD was. So you need to get all new hardware. If you've only got a TV, you replace the TV if you've got a tv and an optical disc player which most people do you got to replace the latter if you've got an av receiver you probably have to replace that unless you bought it in the past year or so um so you're talking very major expenditures
1: yes you are and i think the other issue to consider here is that you have to basically be fairly close to the set or get something 60 inches or larger
21: well that's that's the point um and i know we discussed this once before there's some sort of a multiple of the diagonal of the tv i think it's 1.8 or something if you're if you're further than the diagonal times whatever this multiple is you won't see the difference you know it's like a retina display on a computer or an iphone there is a point at which you can't see it any better our eyes just aren't good enough um so if you don't have a very big screen tv or if you're not sitting close enough for it to make a difference, it's just a waste of money. For me, the, the only interest of 4K is the ability to have bigger screens and still see a very good picture.
1: Well, once again, once that circuitry is in wide production, and I'm, once the I'm price... sure it's
21: going to become common. Sure. But it's, going to, it's not going to be as quick as the TV and the entire home entertainment industry would like. Um, again, people updated to 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 hd tvs bought new hardware disc players and and av receivers and they're going to have to go through the whole thing again me i'll wait until i need to buy a new tv there's absolutely nothing that's going to tempt me uh before that i bought a new tv when i got to england a little more than a year and a half ago it's a panasonic i think it's a 48 or a 50 inch it's perfect in the room in which we watch tv the distance at which we sit sure a bigger tv is always nicer but i have absolutely no need to spend the money for a bigger tv
1: no i agree with you and i think that the only thing that the tv makers have now to offer is 4k we'll have to see how long it takes to bring it down to the point where all but the cheapest sets have the feature and then of course the content delivery systems will have to be updated they will have to have a blu-ray format that's 4k yeah. They'll have to update the cable and satellite providers. They do have better compression technologies now. You have H.264. Now you have H.265, which is more efficient, meaning that you get more content. for the You squeeze same more into picrate. the pipe. Sure. Yeah. Squeezes a lot more into that pipe. And over time, that's what's going to happen. And that's what gigabit internet's going to give you. It's going to pave the way to the higher resolutions. And then they got 8 k But I I okay. don't want to start with that.
21: Yeah, they're, they're going to keep trying to sell us more, obviously. But you don't need gigabit internet to get 4K. At best, you need 20 megabits. Because w- what is HD? It's, it's 2, 3 megabits, regular HD. So four times that is 12 or
1: 15? I think it's more like you need about five to get really good HD performance. Okay, and- so four... 20 but you have to have consistent 20 which means you need enough extra speed to compensate for variation so if you want to get 20 you need 40 really to be sure that you know someone is not using their ipad in the other room to watch something and suddenly your streaming rate goes down so you need yeah you wouldn't
21: notice it you wouldn't notice the difference if there are a couple of frames where it drops so I mean I'm not worried about this stuff it's It's not going to be an issue a four k image so I just looked this up a four k image it's about um three point eight two gigabits um let's see uncompressed one frame is thirty nine megabytes so one second is four hundred seventy seven megabytes
1: well remember here we're talking about they're compressing it what ninety five percent
21: uh yeah this isn't talking about the different levels of compression so that gets even more uh, complicated
1: we're not going to get into it because it's isn't that kind of show and i know speaking of any of these tv technologies we actually had somebody on the show a couple of three years ago talking about methods of 3d that did not require glasses but we're still waiting for them let's talk about audio having talked about video
21: let's talk about audio
1: okay Now, this is an argument that you and I have talked about before, the audibility of differences in music. So, for example, if you take the CD version of a recording and you compare it to lossless, which is, again, a high-resolution file, or MP3, AAC, etc., what Apple is offering, what other people are offering, these highly compressed versions of music, can people reliably detect a difference
21: there have been so many studies um that basically the short answer is no there have been so many studies that show this yet there are plenty of people who claim that they can hear the difference now a, a bit of vocabulary um a lossless file is a compressed file that contains when it's played back it contains exactly the same data as a cd or as an original file, in this case, if it's a CD that's compressed to a lossless format, um, it's played back and it contains exactly the same data. The advantage of lossless is it takes up about half the space. So a CD is six or 700 megabytes of data. Gotta make sure we don't confuse megabytes and megabits.
1: Well, you know, I've had Uh, a lot of megabytes in my megabits, but I have to do a break now and then we can get into the differences. So we talking about here lossless compared to native CD format. Kirk McElhern is here. He's the iTunes guy, so he knows about all this stuff and more. We're here on the Tech Night Out Live.
8: UnseenNow.com, proud sponsor of GCN. Unseen Now's unparalleled encryption tools. Keep your communications secure.
1: GCN. formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if graphic inverter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy graphic inverter. Use the coupon code Owl. Use the coupon code Owl to get a special price for graphic inverter. Go to Lemkesoft.com. That's L E L-E-M-K-E M K E Soft.com. Lemkysoft.com. L E L-E-M-K-E M K E Soft.com.
15: Or a close. You can't afford to wait. So call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Call 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335.
17: How's your pH today? Are you acidic? How alkaline is your blood and body? What is the pH of the water you drink? We are AlkaVision, and we have the answers. Drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy, because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. If your drinking water isn't at a pH level of 8 or higher, boost it with AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Our unique formula will alkalize your water, ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid, and help regain energy and health. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at alcavision.com spelled A-L-K-A-Vision.com, or call 800-518-7615, 518 7615 Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at Alcavision.com.
9: Moms of America, stand up and stop taking abuse from your kids. I pledge never to let my kid disrespect me ever again. I pledge to stop letting my daughter
10: walk all over me. I pledge to stop living in fear of my son's anger.
6: I pledge never to feel like a bad parent ever again. Because I'm not.
10: I pledge to stop letting my child's behavior control my home. I pledge to be a mom with kids who listen. A total transformation mom.
9: I'm Janet Lehman, co-creator of the Total Transformation Program. We created the Total Transformation to help parents with difficult child behavior. Now I'm giving it away free. All you need to do is get the
11: program and let us know how it works for you. We'll let you keep it for free. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795. Call now. Call 1-800-256-7795. That's 1-800-256-7795.
13: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
1: I'm Gene Steinberg. We're on the Tech Night Out Live. We have Kirk McElhern, iTunes guy, talking about the difference between lossless and CD. Now, isn't that the same thing as in the old days or even the current days? You take a file and you zip it and you compress it. And it's the same file in terms of the data, but cut down to half or more. So lossless is simply the same data, compressed, but you're not losing anything.
21: Exactly. In fact, it... it Good timing because this week's Ask the iTunes Guy column on Macworld has a question about that. Um, in my last column, I talked about the difference between lossless and uncompressed formats, so AIFF or WAV, A for Wave. and I got a question from a reader who said, well, this doesn't make sense. How can it be compressed and not lose anything? So I gave an example. Um, I downloaded from Gutenberg.net a file of Shakespeare's complete works, and it was about 900-some-odd thousand words, the file is 5.6 megabytes on disk, and when I zipped it on my Mac, it came to about 2.3. And if you uncompress a zipped file, you get exactly the same 900-some-odd thousand words with no typos, and it goes back to the original size. And that's how lossless compression works. When people talk about compressed music, they think about MP3 and AAC, which use what are called psychoacoustic models to determine which parts of the audio information can be removed that you won't hear. I'll give you one example, which is a, a pretty simple one. Below certain frequencies, you can't tell if a sound is in stereo or mono. And this is pretty simple. It's, it's because low-frequency sound waves are so long. Um, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact number, but I think a sound wave around 50 hertz is something like three feet long. So unless you're more than three feet, uh, unless you're more than six feet in between a pair of speakers, you won't hear whether it's stereo or mono. So one thing that's used in compression is combining these very low frequencies into a single channel instead of two. This is also called joint stereo. And I'm not sure if iTunes still offers this, but you used to be able to choose joint stereo when you were compressing to save some space. So. Compression that's not lossless, commonly called lossy compression, will make changes like that. It'll remove the high frequencies. It'll put the low frequencies into a single channel. But when it's played back, it's not able to recreate the frequencies that it took out, whereas lossless compression does. It recreates exactly what was in the original file.
1: Okay, I think the real question here is how reliably can people detect the difference between, say, what Apple is offering? in terms of a digital music file, and the original CD.
21: So Apple offers um, the AAC format, which, contrary to what many people think, is not an Apple format. It doesn't stand for Apple anything. It's actually the MP4 standard, the successor to the MP3 standard. Most highly technical people say that a 256-kilobit AAC file is equivalent in quality to a 320-kilobit mp3 file and that's the highest uh compression rate of mp3 you'll see almost every single study has shown that reliably people get about 50% right and 50% wrong when comparing a cd to an aac 256k file in blind testing in other words not knowing which file they're listening to um so well,
1: that this goes, means uh, basically that they can't reliably they can't tell hear a difference. difference
21: sure right and so the reason you brought this up is because I posted a, an article on my blog um, a few days ago about a study between CD quality and high resolution audio. So these are files that technically contain a lot more musical data. And there's a subset of people who are convinced that they can hear the difference. that They sound better, that they can hear all these high frequencies that basically only dogs can hear. Um, I have so to the ask article, my
1: dog what frequencies he can hear. In fact, I'll call exactly. him here now, and we'll test him. No, I won't.
21: So I, I, I wrote an article about a blog post. Someone named
1: Archie Mago, um, or Archimago. oh, I love that name, Archie Mago.
21: Um, he published a series of blog posts, and he set up a very well-crafted study. He got 140 people to do this survey and to listen to three pairs of files. So for each pair of file, there was one file that was a standard cd quality file and another one was a 24-bit version of the file which theoretically um, has a broader dynamic range so you should be able to hear the, the the softest and the loudest parts with more space between them so the softest part should be softer and the loudest part should be louder for two out of the three files 140 people 70 people picked one 70 people picked the other so 50 50 that's flipping a coin that's guesswork For one of the files, 74 people picked the CD quality, and only 66 picked the 24-bit file. So a slight increase, a little more than 2% of people thought the CD quality file was better than the 24-bit file, which is supposed to be better. It was interesting because this was a very well-set-up study, and there was a survey also asking people what sort of experience they have. Are you a musician? Do you have experience um recording, editing, order audio, audio files? Do you have experience reviewing hardware? These groups, um the either the musicians or the hardware reviewers did worse um than 5050. Only the audio engineers got a little bit better, but it was very, very limited. Um, and the survey asked what your level of confidence was for each file. And so the final numbers only show the ones where people were actually confident. And I'll give an example. For the engineers, in quotes, so people with experience working with audio, the three files were 54%, 52%, and 55% right, which is still just a blip above random. Random would be 50%. The musicians did much worse. In one case, and again, these are people who were saying they were relatively confident, in one case, only 30% got it right and 50% got it wrong. I'm not sure where the other 20% are there. But in all the other cases, they did worse than than random, than average. The hardware reviewers, it's the same. They were either 50-50 or worse. It, it basically shows that in blind test, people simply can't hear. Our ears aren't as good as th- this type of music. Theoretically, technically, one can justify at least the higher bit depth so 24 bit compared to 16 bit in a cd as i said it increases the the dynamic range but you need extremely expensive stereo equipment um as someone i know when i was discussing this a few months ago pointed out the best thing you could probably do to improve your sound is to treat the room that you listen to the music in you've got radio experience you know what room treatment involves it involves taking surfaces that are too reflective and insulating them and taking surfaces that are too soft, that absorb too much, and basically masking them so they don't absorb too much sound.
1: Okay. Now, the point to mention here, and that surprises me not at all, that musicians fare worse. I expect any musicians playing a lot of loud rock music, their hearing is probably somewhat impaired.
21: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think they were... These weren't necessarily rock musicians. I'm sure some of them were classical as well, but you do have a point. Um, Believe it or not, a lot of classical musicians wear earplugs these days. Imagine if you're sitting in front of the brass section in an orchestra. Imagine the amount of volume you've got behind you. Even the timpanis are very loud, if you think about it. Um, So a lot of musicians do wear earplugs to protect their hearing.
1: Unfortunately, Peter Townsend didn't.
21: No, Neil Young didn't. Um, He famously has serious tinnitus and hearing loss. And yet he's one of the people touting these high-resolution music files um, with his Pono system, which should be going into production soon after a very successful Kickstarter.
1: Yes, but Um, just bear in mind there, we're talking about a commercial product, and he's using his reputation as a rock singer-musician and songwriter to hype it to make a living. Yes, so what is he going to say? I can't hear the difference. I'm deaf. Well, I've got tinnitus. No. I can't hear a darn thing. He's not going to say that because he wants to sell a product or service. We have Kirk McElhern, who's not selling anything. And Gene Steinberg. I've got nothing to sell. Maybe an old computer. No, not even that. You're listening to the Tech Night Out Live. Mm-hmm.
8: Leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Neighbors, are you
1: tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to A2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, A2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code Gene when you check out.
24: Summertime is save big time at Herbal Healer Academy. Long-term customers know summer is the time to stock up at herbalhealer.com. And for new customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more log on for summer specials including all sizes of colloidal silver colloidal minerals and intestinal freedom on sale. Choose from Herbal Healer's great variety of weight loss products like apple cider vinegar hootia and metabolic complex and pro-metabolic all on sale now also the anti-parasite intestinal freedom and wormwood plus complex plus stevia liquid sweetener and the super enzymes all on sale for summer at herbalhealer.com As always, we offer certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine. Enjoy same-day shipping and free online newsletter. Log on now to HerbalHealer.com and look for summer specials to save big with our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988, Herbal Healer Academy.
13: You're listening to The Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: Here on the Tech Night Out Live, Gene Steinberg with Kirk McElhern, summing it all up with all the tests. Okay, so we have these high-resolution, possibly master music files compared to the CD version. And in large part, listeners do not reliably hear a difference. Even a few percent can be a sampling error. And it may be true that with the best quality audio systems and the right people, maybe a fraction of a percent can hear a slight difference. But is that difference worth a difference? Then we have the comparison of the CD version and the compressed version that Apple offers, AAC or maybe Someone's offering the MP3 version as slightly higher bit rate because of the fact that MP3 is not quite as good as AAC, but the difference is slight. And here again, people do not reliably hear a difference. Now, I've had people who even came on the show who are musicians, and they say, you know what? You listen to piano music and stuff like that. You might hear something reliable. And maybe if you choose the right material again, you might hear a difference. But... If the difference is so slight, again, is that difference worth the difference? I think for most people, it's not.
21: It's not. And you've got to remember that you've got to have an investment in hardware to make this difference, if it exists, audible. You're paying 20 or 25 bucks an album compared to, let's say, the 12, 13, 15 for a CD, if you want to compare it to Lossless, or $10 an album on the iTunes store. And the biggest risk is that. If you have a poorly mastered album, it's not going to matter what resolution the music files are in. It's going to sound like crap. Um, a lot of people who do buy this kind of music, at least they do point out that it's only worth buying on well-mastered albums. I know some time ago we talked about the different Beatles recordings and remasterings and all that maybe last year. It's true that if you get a badly mastered album, It's just, the sound's just muddy and murky. It's not gonna sound any better in a better resolution. If anything, it would sound worse because the faults would be highlighted. And if you're listening to any of today's pop music, which is heavily compressed, and by that I mean compression of the dynamic range to make everything sound loud, it's not
1: gonna make a difference either. So basically, at the end of the day, unless you have a lot of money to burn, which is fine, you got a lot of money to burn, and well, you want is it to fine because yourself. it perpetuates a myth? Well, that- Yeah, but if you have a lot of money to burn, and you don't care, enjoy yourself. But as you say, yes, it does perpetuate a myth. And I think most people don't have to worry about it. And the few people who do have those $10,000, $50,000 audio systems, and my old friend Bob Carver, who became famous for making affordable versions of high-end components, now he's making multi-thousand dollar tube amplifiers and he's got a loudspeaker system and i think it's about twenty thousand dollars for the set and if you're well-heeled you know he custom builds them for you he'll even come to your home to set them up for you and you can have lunch with him and he's a cool guy it'd be a lot of fun but if you don't have that kind of money you know don't worry about it again yeah. even the differences the audible differences between The $1,000 audio system and the $50,000 audio system, if you carefully select your components, the differences will be not that significant for most of you.
21: Yeah, there, there are a whole lot of issues around audio. There have been a number of tests of amplifiers that suggest that there's pretty much no difference in sound, no difference in sound from a cheap amplifier to an expensive amplifier. Speakers are obviously different. Um, speakers are extremely variable. You go into any audio store that has a listening room and you listen to a few different sets of speakers, the differences can be extremely pronounced. And I remember um, a couple of years ago, I bought a pair of speakers in France and spent some time in a local hi-fi shop. The difference of one speaker that's very bassy, another one that's very treble and another one that's a lot more neutral. I mean, you hear it, obviously, but the differences in amplifiers, you don't. There, there are some areas where you'll hear differences. I firmly believe that having a good uh, digital analog converter or DAC is a lot better than using, say, your, your Mac sound card if you're connecting a computer to an amplifier. I have seen, for instance, uh, improved sound in a DVD Blu-ray player that I have compared to a cheaper one when playing back a CD. But again, that's the internal DAC that makes a difference. But once you get up to a certain point, your diminishing returns just make it worthless to go beyond, I mean, I I think that for, I'm gonna just take a guess here. For Once you get up to about $2,000 for for an audio system, so amplifier, disc player, um, speakers, you probably can't get a lot better uh, you'll be spending a lot of money, and the, the return that you'll get on the extra money won't make that much of a difference. Even at a $1,000 these days, um, the quality of stuff that we get now, if you remember when we were younger, um, how much it cost for good stereos, The the quality of your iPhone or your iPod is better than the stereos that people had in the 70s. So even at the low end of stereo equipment
1: today, the quality is pretty darn good. Well, they've been able to digitize all the advantages. Let me put a few qualifications on what you say. Now, a tube amplifier will sound different than a solid-state amplifier. And because the of re- distortion. It's the way it interacts with the speakers. It's slightly higher distortion, but that's not the factor. It is what's called the damping factor. Right. And therefore, the frequency response will vary when hooked up to a normal speaker load as opposed to a solid-state amplifier. What this means is you're going to get a warmer sound, and if you look at the spectrum of what it delivers under load, you'll be able to see the difference. Also, the kind of distortion that a tube amplifier has tends to be more pleasing, not necessarily more accurate, more pleasing. That's one thing. The second thing is here, I've argued with you over the so-called digital analog converters and audible differences I think under controlled testing, double blind, level matched, etc., very, very few people will hear a difference. And I challenge you to do that test and let's see if you hear the difference. It might be fun.
21: Well, the difference I'm talking about is the difference between the kind of sound card which has a digital analog converter, the kind of sound card that you've got in a computer, an iPhone, or a cheap DVD player. I don't and care like
1: about that. the electronics. I'm talking about an audible difference. Forget about the electronics. Can you hear that reliably, double-blind, level-matched? I know there are yeah. some apps out there, especially for iPhones and iPads, that allow you to do so-called A, B, X testing.
21: Well, that's which, for music files. Sure. Um, it's, m- it's much more difficult to set up a system so you can take a DAC and turn it on and turn it off, because you need to be able to switch immediately from one to the other.
1: The key here if, also... If there's any
21: time between you have to unplug and replug, plug um, it's not quite the same. Personally, when I got an, an, a standalone DAC connected to my Mac, I did hear the difference right away. I unplugged it, played it again, re it, played it again, did that a number of times, and there's much more detail that I can hear.
1: Yeah, but let me tell you something else. If the output level was a fraction of a decibel louder, you'd hear more detail. I'm not gonna get into that, because we can argue I don't, about that day and night, but we have to wrap it up now. Okay. And save that for another day. Kirk McElhern, please tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you do.
21: You can drop by my website, Kirkville. That's www.mcElhern.com, M C E L H E A R N.com. And you can find me over at Macworld where I've got another Ask the iTunes Guy column. There's one every two weeks on the Macworld site.
1: Very good. You can find us on Twitter. We're known as Tech Night Owl. We're Tech Night Owl on Twitter. And if you go to Facebook and look for Gene Steinberg, and he's that crazy guy with the plaid shirt, no doubt he's me. We also have another show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. It's called The Paracast. And this weekend, we're going to look at the skeptical site of studying UFOs. We've got a guy I've known for many years named Robert Schaefer. And Robert's going to tell you that if you think you saw a UFO. You probably got it wrong, or it's something conventional. We could argue with him about that. But you'll find out a lot more about what he has to say at Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com for the Paracast. And here featured on GCN Network, IRN Internet Radio Network, iTunes Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. This is the Tech Night out Live. Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the show.
21: Thanks for having me again, Gene.